hashtag Pistons podcast. Uh, we are back on a coup. Stop doing the raise your hand thing. What the heck? Um, we're back, back in business again. Um, there have been two playoff games played by the Detroit Pistons. They lost both of them. Um, we do have a little bit of a change today, though, as in addition to my normal co-host, Koo Cahill, who you can find on Twitter at Koo Cahill MBA, who is the site expert editor in chief of Piston Powered. We have his co-site expert, Martin who you can find on Twitter at I'm a Martin high. He's also the um, co-site expert, co-editor-in-chief of pistonpower.com. Um, and then, of course, I'm Joe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore truck. Uh, you can read me uh, a lot of different places. So obviously, primarily here, we're going to just be looking at the two games that have happened in the series already. Um, the Pistons got beaten very badly in both of them. A little less brutal in game two. They stuck with them through the first half, of course, and then the third quarter, the Bucks pulled away. Game one was pretty much an absolute slaughter. Um, every single thing pretty much that could have gone wrong in game one went wrong. Uh, game two, things went a little bit better, but in the end, I think we all kind of came away agreeing that the Pistons didn't play that poorly in game two. It's just kind of the Bucks are that good and that bad of a matchup for the Pistons that, you know, it just kind of, well, that's what was going to happen. So, um, Martin, I'm going to have you start us off. Just sort of any general thoughts on the opening two games of the series. Well, for game one, I thought the Pistons just played terrible basketball. Casey was not coaching correctly. Uh, he wasn't making adjustments. Uh, Piston shooters couldn't hit anything. Um, the only bright side of that game was probably Luke Kennard. Uh I think he went... Eight for sixteen that game. Uh, I'm not sure. Let me check that. Eight for fourteen from the field, twenty-one points, two assists, four rebounds. Yeah, that's correct. And then game two, uh, Blake Griffin also didn't play in. Um, Luke Kennard uh, started off well. Casey was making the correct adjustments. The Piston had a one-point one lead at halftime, and then the second half. And the, they couldn't hit their shots, but in the fourth quarter mainly, it was it was the the decision of Dwayne Casey benching Reggie Jackson and playing Ish Smith the rest almost the rest of the way until it was too late. The game was over, and the Pistons ended up losing that game by twenty one points. Yeah, I mean, you know, with the Ish Smith thing. Um... I think now you guys not quite as much, but um, for me at least, I felt like they did make a lot of good adjustments in that game. Um, I tweeted it the other night that I don't want to be too hard on Casey about that game, just because I did like a decent number of the changes that they made, which we could talk about more in a little bit. But yeah, the having Ish Smith out there for so long in the fourth quarter was pretty dumbfounding. Um, I'm pretty staunchly on the of the opinion that Ish should not play for long stretches. He shouldn't be closing games. There's a lot of evidence to show that you get diminishing returns from him in both those situations. But there's times where Ish is really rolling, rolling and Reggie Jackson has just not really been where it's kind of like, I mean, I don't think he should do it, but I understand Ish Smith didn't even play well in that game. I mean, he finished, what, 3 of 13 from the field, uh, and Reggie Jackson had been playing pretty well. So it's pretty stupefying, quite frankly, that, he did that, um, but a lot of the other 
adjustments I thought were good. But one thing you brought up, Martin, that I think we can use to really sort of as an op- as a good opening topic for all of us, because we we know Koo wants to do some ranting a little bit, but we'll try and push that back at least a little bit. Is as you mentioned, Blake Griffin has not played in game one or two. Um, so I think the first question that I want to ask for both of you, Martin, you can go first. Koo, you can go second. Uh, if Blake Griffin had been playing in these two games and was at least mostly healthy, okay, so not like can't walk Blake Griffin. If he was, how different do you think this series would be? I mean, I predicted a sweep either way, Blake Griffin healthy, Blake Griffin injured, but I think it would have been a lot more competitive. Maybe we'd see like a, a eight-point loss instead of a 21-point loss, you know, a 14-point loss instead of a 35-point loss. I don't think it was going to make much of a difference, but I think Blake, you have to respect Blake and, and what he could bring. And uh, the Bucks would have have the game plan for him differently. What about you? Koo? I think that we, I think we will have lost game one either way. I think if there if there was a game that we could have stole, second game looked like we were playing pretty well with Blake. With Blake there, maybe we could have stole that one. But I don't really see uh, much of a difference happening. We might not have been blown up by like thirty five, but we're we're going to lose either way. Well, I mean, one thing with the Bucks that you know, it's just another thing that makes them just a terrible matchup for Detroit, even beyond the fact that the Bucks are just really, really good and really, really deep is that Giannis has really given Blake trouble. Um, Blake is, is stronger than Giannis, but he's not so overpowering. They can just get to wherever he wants. And Giannis is just so long that even when Blake's gets into his positions, he has trouble scoring over him just because Giannis is so incredibly long. Um, I think there's a couple of things though, that, Blake would really make a difference on. I mostly agree with you guys. Uh, I don't with the way they played in game one. I certainly think they were going to get slaughtered in game one, one way or another. Um, but there's a couple of spots where I think he would have really made a difference. First off, is just objectively, even if he's less effective because Giannis is a really tough matchup for him, uh, he is so much better than Thon Maker <laughs> that it's not even funny, right? Like, if the Pistons still had Anthony Tolliver, for instance, I could maybe talk myself into the idea that, you know, Giannis gives, like, so many issues as an isolation scorer that we can actually play Giannis, play Anthony Tolliver at power forward and be like, eh, it's not, maybe not making that big of a difference, but Thon has just been. He, I mean, he played a little bit better in game two, but he was just, he's been terrible. Absolutely terrible. So even if you just say, okay, Blake, you can't really do the isolation scoring thing. We're just going to use you as a spot-up shooter and sort of do the two-man game thing with Wayne Ellington. That would still be providing way more value than Thon Maker has in this series. What do you guys think? You added Anthony Tolliver. I mean, at least Anthony Tolliver, you would, you know he was going to hit his threes. Thon Maker, he hasn't hit one three this series. Game one, zero for six. Game two... Zero for three. Well, I mean, one thing to tack onto that is that um, I actually gave, initially when Thon Maker arrived, I actually gave the coaching staff quite a bit of credit because um, when you look at his splits from where he's shooting, Thon Maker is pretty solid in the corners, but when he gets out of the corners, he's just absolutely terrible shooter, like comically bad. Um, he's at least as ineffective as Giannis Antetokounmpo is when he leaves the corners, right? Like just a terrible shooter. And initially, it was really good because it seemed like the Pistons had really gotten hold of that and the coaching staff had really run it through him that you don't shoot threes outside of the corners. We plant you in the corner and that's where you stay. 
And it had started to happen a little bit already at the end of the regular season. But in these two games, it has really been a big shift where he's taken a lot of his threes from above the break and he just can't hit those. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, Anthony Tolliver, at least, you know, he's going to hit threes. And also, I think, you know, Anthony Tolliver is a solid defender. So it's just and, you know, even you don't necessarily have to use Anthony Tolliver. I just used him because he's a guy Pistons fans would recognize. But just if the Pistons had a backup four that was, you know, pretty good, at least even just as a normal backup, um, I would be more comfortable saying, you know, given that Giannis is such a tough matchup for him, maybe this isn't even that bad of a drop-off for this matchup. But given that it's Tathan Maker, it's it's huge, a huge drop-off. Uh, but there's another thing that I think that missing Blake has really hurt them with, and that is uh, for Andre and the offensive glass. And it's a little bit um, secondary how it would affect it. But basically, Blake is really good at sort of picking his spots with clashing the crashing the offensive glass. And he's good at picking his spots when opposing teams sort of send two guys to box out Andre and Blake's just sort of alone. And the key reason it's key for him to pick his spots is that against the Bucks, you can't let Giannis get out in transition, right? So most of the time you want to run back. But by going in and picking up the occasional offensive rebound when they overload onto Andre helps to keep them honest, which would really help Andre on the offensive glass, which would in turn further keep the Bucks out of transition. So I think that would be a big difference if Blake was playing. Uh, but I mostly agree with both of you guys. Even if he was playing, I doubt they win either of these games. Uh, you know, I I feel better about the series as a whole. Probably it wouldn't have been as brutal as it has been. Obviously, Blake Griffin is hugely important for this team one way or another. But uh, just because of the fact that Giannis is such a bad matchup for him and also the fact that the Bucks are just so much better than the Pistons, even when they have Blake. Uh, yeah, I don't see it being as a as a huge change. So do either of you guys have anything further you want to tack onto that? Uh, yeah, I do. The, the the bright side of the series overall, the Pistons go into the offseason knowing what they need to fix. So they need to they need to bring in some shooters. They need to bring in a better a better wing player. It's not it's not winning a series or stealing a game. It's it's knowing what to improve on. Yeah, I mean for sure. And you know, I maybe we'll just let Koo get into his rant pretty quick here because it kind of leads into it. But uh, it's kind of absurd to me the way that people have talked about you know how embarrassing the Pistons are when it's like do you think there's any other team that if they lost their best player and were going against this Bucks team you know like how many other teams would people be like oh my gosh that's so embarrassing when they didn't have their best player like I just that's something that it seems like not enough people have talked about with this just slaughtering that has happened which is that the Pistons don't have their best player on the floor and you know, the other thing, and I've tweeted about it, but if the Pistons hadn't made the moves they made at the deadline, they would be way better set up for this, which I'm sure Ku, and Ku, you wrote a piece about it, I think, right, about Stanley with this, where, you know, without Stanley Johnson, Andre is really the only guy you have to guard Giannis, which is not ideal. Reggie Bullock would be much better against Chris Middleton. Reggie Bullock also on offense is more versatile. He's more comfortable hitting mid-range shots, more comfortable playing on the floor, which has been a huge problem for Wayne Ellington, is that the Bucks have really aggressively chased him off the three-point line, and he's just not very good when he puts the ball on the floor. So he's really struggled. Whereas Reggie Bullock, if he's putting the ball on the floor, he's a good enough finisher. He's a good enough floater. 
shooter. He's a pretty decent passer. Like there's a much better chance that he's still giving you production, even if he's getting chased off the three point line. And when they made those moves, pretty much everybody other than the most um, ardent Stanley Johnson fans were like, yes, these are good moves. These are the right things to do because they're setting themselves up better for next season without doing anything drastic or stupid. Right. Uh, But they did that. If they don't make those moves, they're in a better spot to be competitive in this series. They made a conscious effort to say, we're going to prioritize next season over this season while still potentially giving ourselves to be competitive and make the playoffs. So in the end, I think, especially when you consider that Blake's hurt, um, I just don't, I struggle to see the way that people have complained about it, but I know that Koo's itching to get at this bit. So I think we can just let him, let him get started here. Um, Andre Drummond has had a very, very, some very, very bad plus minuses in this series. In game one, he was minus 45, which I believe was a playoff record or close to it. I don't remember for sure if it was. And in game two, he was a minus 32. A lot of people have used that to try and paint Andre Drummond as the problem. So, Ku, we're going to let you start with this one. Um, what do you think of the people who have suggested that Andre Drummond really is the problem with this team? Yo, I'm going I'm I'm to start off saying, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And, Martin, you can okay. answer them, okay. too, if you want. Do you guys know who the Utah Jazz are? Yes. You guys think Rudy Gobert is a good player? Yes, I do. You guys think Donovan Mitchell is a good player? Yes. Not as good as Luke Kennard, but he's pretty good. You think you think <laughs> you think Joe Ingles a good player? Yes. Okay. What you what do you think about Nikola Vucevic? Not as good as Andre. He's solid but, though. Okay, okay. Who won? Who got the All Star nod over Andre this year? Nikola Vucevic. Okay. You guys think Russell Westbrook is a good player? Yes. All right, so as I'm saying all this, I just want this is why I'm asking this. <clears throat> the Orlando Magic lost by 29 in game 2 to the Toronto Raptors. Joe, you know what Joe or Martin, you guys know what uh, Nikola Vucevic did? I don't. 6 rebounds, 6 points, 4 turnovers, 3 of 7. Oh, no. Did he really? I didn't even know no, that. Yeah, I legit yeah. did not know that. Oh, no, no. Yeah, he did it. He he for sure did it. And I, I don't think I need even say what Russell Westbrook's out there doing. We all, I think that's pretty uh, well known what's going on to him. You want to you wanna read off some of Russell Westbrook's stats? Yeah, you have yeah those I'll read up. it right now. 14 points okay. in game two, uh, 11 assists, nine rebounds, six turnovers, shooting five of 20 from the field, one of six from Ooh. three, and a minus 27. Hmm. Now, I want everyone to just remember that little last stat I said, minus 27. Now, Joe and Martin, how much did the Pistons lose by yesterday? 21. H- how many minutes did Andre Drummond play in a 21-point loss? 38. Did anybody 38. else come close to 38 minutes? Wayne Ellington and Luke Kennard both played 35. And what were their plus minuses? Ellington was minus... Ellington was minus ten. Kennard was minus sixteen. Did did anybody else have a higher plus uh, a lower plus minus than Luke besides Andre? No. Okay, so if you if you kept up with me throughout my whole experiment just now, it's just to it's just to let everybody know. I don't see nobody saying Nikola Vucevic is terrible. I I don't see nobody saying that Rudy Gobert's ass. 
I, I don't see nobody saying that Donovan Mitchell's all of a sudden garbage. I, I don't see anybody saying that Russell Westbrook's trash. Actually, you might be seeing people say Russell Westbrook's trash, but, but either, either way. No one thinks that Russell Westbrook's real trash. But but Andre Drummond, but but apparently apparently for Andre Drummond amongst these Pistons fans. And first off, I want to start this off with Andre. If you ever for so happen get so bored that you look up some random podcast and actually end up hearing me here, I want to let you know that I'm sorry for everything you have to deal with, and I hope you get out of Detroit because this is awful. This 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 is what I'm going to say. This is this is what I'm going to say. Apparently for Andre Drummond playing on a team that has the worst wing rotation in the NBA, which Joe has often talked about. He, we have the worst wing rotation. We have nobody who can play defense on in the starting lineup now because Bruce Brown's so awful on offense that you have to take him out the game. We have a terrible team. The best player on the team is hurt. He's gone. And we have the likely MVP of the league on the other team. The, the player that Shaquille O'Neal is saying that is better than him. The player that Shaquille O'Neal is saying he wouldn't even give Dwight Howard the Superman name, but he gives it to Giannis because he's that damn dominant. That's the team we're going against. The team that was the, the best team in the league since the beginning of the season to now. That's who we're going against. Joe, what do you think would happen if I told you that you don't have your best player against a team like that and you're already not a good team? What would happen? What do you think would happen? A slaughter. And, and, and slaughter is precisely what's happened. A slaughterhouse has been has been built in these two games, and it's not shocking at all. But instead of talking about the fact that the wing rotation is dog shit, instead of talking about the fact, instead of talking about the fact that that Thon Maker, while oh you know we 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 love him man, we thank God we traded Stanley. Stanley was trash. He couldn't shoot, mind you. Thon Maker's down to thirty percent shooting from three on the on the season. You know what Stanley was shooting twenty nine. So, but you know what Stanley gives you an upgrade over on defense. And you know what we're we're stopping. To, we we can't do stop dribble penetration. You know what Stanley could do? Stop dribble penetration. So you know. So now we have Don Maker on the court who can't do nothing. We actually had somebody on the Twitter on the Twitterverse who happened. I guess had the same two eyes. Must have been watching some different Pistons game in a different in a different universe. Who had the balls to say that Thon Maker was guarding Giannis better than Andre? It's it. Oh my God! I, you, 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 hold on, Mark. What's their name? I want their name. The radio. No, show. I don't need. Yeah. No. Yeah. What is it, Martin? What's their name? Yeah, dialed in Detroit. You listening? I hope you're listening. You the the take that you said about Thon guarding him better than Andre Drummond is utter. And and Joe usually says, "Oh, we have to wash our mouth in these show, uh, on our podcast." I don't give a damn that 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 take that you said about Don Maker guarding Giannis better than Andre is pure and utter bullshit. It's lies. You didn't watch the same game. I don't know what you were watching. It's lies. But. Once again, as I was saying, instead of blaming Thon Maker, who's built like a twig, can get blown over by my fan in this room, instead of blaming Wayne Ellington, who's shooting 2 of 10 from the field, 1 of 4 from deep, instead of blaming the fact that Zaza Pachulia has to play 18 minutes in game one, the fact that Andre Drummond has to play 38 minutes, and, and, and oh, and was Diamond, what, what is it, Diamond in Detroit, what is it? Dial in Detroit. Dial in Detroit put the little video out of, Oh, you didn't box out Eric Bledsoe. 
there was all two other players who were just watching the rebound. But I guess Andre has to guard Don. He has to guard Giannis Antetokounmpo. He has to guard Brooke Lopez. He has to box out both of them. And then he also has to have eyes in the back of his damn head and block out Eric Bledsoe coming to the rim. So instead of instead of using the the correct criticism, instead oh and by the way, the Pistons were up by one at halftime. You want to know why? And I tweeted this out: the Pistons were playing Detroit basketball. If there all these people who say, oh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't look like Detroit basketball. It doesn't look like the going to work Pistons, the bad boys. They don't play like that. Well, god damn it! Yeah, you must have watched the first half of game two because that's precisely what they were putting on out there. They were playing the best case of Detroit basketball you could have asked for. They were leaving it all on the line out there. They gave it everything they possibly could. Andre was doing everything he could. Bruce Brown, Reggie Jackson was showing up. They were putting their bodies on the floor. They were doing everything they could. And then they have the goal after the game. After the game that they sat there and tried their hardest against the best team in the league, put their bodies on the line, and did the best they could, Andre Drummond has to come home to his own fan base calling him out. Andre Drummond gave it everything he could in game two. Andre Drummond, not with Blake Griffin out, out the game, and Joe and Martin, you guys can back me up on this. With no Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond is asked to do all of these things. He has to rebound versus the whole damn Milwaukee Bucks team because they're putting five people on him. He has to out-rebound all of them. He has to protect the rim every single possession because God lo- God knows that we can't defend a single dribble penetration. So every single every single drive, Andre has to rotate over and try to do something. And guess what? Someone usually doesn't get his rotation, so then his man scores. And then we got the dumbasses on Twitter saying, Oh, look, Andre's giving up buckets. And they just don't know what they're talking about. So he has to play rim protection. He has to rebound the whole team. He has to play defense on the best player in the damn league. He has to guard the perimeter with Brooke Lopez. And then on offense, he has to create the whole offense. He has to do the dribble handoff on players like Wayne Ellington, who can't even get separation before the dribble handoff to get the dribble handoff. So then there's a turnover that happens. Oh, he's falling out of bounds. We I have nobody that can even get the separation to get the dribble handoff. So then you've got people, and then whoever's going, Andre, standing at the free throw line. But guess what? We don't have nobody else who's better at it. So Andre still has to create. And then they're like, oh, you know, Andre Drummond can't shoot. That's why they're sagging. Well, you know what? Maybe if Dwayne Ellington knew how to get separation on simple. You know, you know what I learned in eighth grade basketball? When I, my eighth grade basketball team taught me. The basic ways to get open, to get the ball on the wing. Go down, do a little 360 step on the guy's foot, extend the hand. There's all kinds of ways to get open on a dribble handoff, and Wayne Ellington couldn't even do that. He fell out of bounds one time. So, Andre Drummond's doing, orchestrating the offense, and then also, oh, Joe mentioned it earlier, and, and Martin tweeted it, I believe. It takes away from his other, Andre having to do all this takes away his other responsibilities. Guess who still had four offensive rebounds? You know how how almost impossible it is that he should be getting offensive rebounds while also staying on the perimeter doing. That means he's crashing every every shot. He's crashing from the perimeter. So 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 put it all put it all together. He's playing defense on the whole team. He's playing defense on the best player in the league. He's playing defense on Lopez. He has to rotate on everybody's rotations because no one else knows how to play defense. He's orchestrating the whole offense. He has to get every offensive rebound and God forbid him put his head down after getting slapped across the face because then he's pouting and God forbid pouting. Apparently pouting is the number one sin in the Bible. God forbid that. So and he played 38 minutes. So I'm sorry Pistons fans. Let me put quotations around the Pistons fans because you guys aren't really Pistons fans. You guys are just idiots. So I, I apologize. 
I apologize that Andre Drummond is a human being. And after playing 38 minutes of going against the, one of the most physical players in the league, trying to draw charges, having to go up straight up and not foul. By the way, he played with five fouls in the fourth quarter. Guess who didn't foul out? Andre Drummond. So I'm sorry that he's human. I'm sorry that he gets tired every now and then. This isn't 2K when you can get 99 stamina and a Gatorade fuel boost. He, I'm sorry that he can get tired and he puts his head down every now and then when he gets elbowed across the face or he gets slapped across the face. I'm sorry that he reacts. I'm sorry he has emotions. And I'm sorry that 18 points, 16 rebounds, 2 blocks, 2 assists on, 50, on 53% shooting isn't good enough for you. I hope Andre Drummond request a trade from this city because this city's fan base is awful. They do the same thing to Matthew Stafford. They do the same thing to anybody who gets paid a load of money because I'm assuming they're just jealous that they're broke. I don't know what it is. Anytime they get paid, any athlete in Detroit, if you have any kind of money, they just destroy you. And it goes for the media too. This is awful. Andre Drummond doesn't deserve this. And any fan who's sitting there saying that Andre Drummond played like trash in these games deserves to, to just – just destroy all their apps. Don't say anything. You need to delete all the apps off your phone. You don't need to have a voice. Joe, you can go before I continue on late. <laughs> you got you, you let it all out, Coop? Nope, that's probably going to be more later, but you can go ahead. Okay. Um. Well, first, I'm going to give Martin. I don't know if you want to tack on to anything he said there, but if you do want to, go right ahead. I mean, Coop said it all, but I'm just going to say Andre Drummond has become the scapegoat of Detroit two years ago. Hey, Coop, plug your headphones back in. It was Reggie Jackson. Now it's Andre Drummond. I think we lost Martin. Can you guys hear me? Well, I think. Oh, yeah, you're back. Keep going. Yeah, two years ago, it was Andre Drummond. Or two years ago, it was Reggie Jackson. Now it's Andre Drummond. Andre has to help the other players shoot threes. He has to rebound and have eyes in the back of his head. He has to play defense while also rebounding the ball. He has to score 50 points or else he's a bum. It's it's ridiculous what people are saying that it's his fault. It's his fault that Wayne Wayne Ellington, Thon Maker, Ish Smith, Glenn Robinson are shooting 26% on this in the series. It's it's Andre Drummond's fault, apparently. Yeah, Aku, you're 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 leaking sound again. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you really are hitting the nail on the head there, Martin. Like, it just, except you know, it's even worse with Andre, um, because like Reggie Jackson has a lot more flaws as a player than Andre Drummond does, right? Even when Reggie Jackson was at his peak. He had a lot more flaws as a player than Andre Drummond does at this point. Um, And I think that there's sort of a combination of things going on with it. Uh, One thing that's undeniable is that a lot of these people are the sort of casual fans who they just look at it and go points per game, herder, that's all that matters, right? Like, and that's just a reality. There's a lot of people that that's what they look at. They look at points per game. And if you don't score a lot of points, that's the only thing that makes you good or bad is scoring lots of points. And for those people, Andre Drummond will never be enough. These are the same people that think Rudy Gobert's not any good. Uh, You know, that's just because that's all they look at. They just look at who's scoring the most points. So they're clearly the best player. And the other thing is that is he's kind of a prime case in point of, 
how hard it can be to shake a narrative around yourself when it starts, if that makes sense. Um, just because of the fact that, you know, when he came into the league, one of the reasons that he dropped in the draft to the Pistons is that uh, he had had a little bit of a reputation for being a little bit lazy, for not always being focused, etc. And he's never been able to shake that. People are still saying it now. And at the very least, we're to the point where almost everybody who really, really watches the Pistons and really pays attention to the Pistons. Um, and you can see it on Twitter the past few days. Pretty much every single person, whether the beat writers, various bloggers, etc., pretty much everybody who's really, really watches the Pistons is like, these people are just clowns, right? Pretty much everybody sees it. Um, and that kind of leads me to the last point with a lot of this, the talk around Andre Drummond and the team is that a lot of it is just that a lot of these people are not people who've been watching all season, right? Like a lot of these people, I won't even say they've never watched before. They're probably just normal people with lives that, you know, they're not like us where their entire lives revolve around a freaking basketball team that finished 500 this season. They watch maybe a little bit of games every now and then occasionally, but mostly they don't pay that close attention. And now it's the playoffs and they're watching and they haven't paid close enough attention the past couple of years to realize that Andre Drummond is not the guy who dropped in the draft because he was lazy. Andre Drummond is a completely different player. They still have that in their minds about him. And they're watching this and they're thinking, man, what the heck? He's supposed to be our superstar center. Why isn't he scoring more? And that's as simple as it is. And, you know, it's frustrating for a lot of people, but I think that that's a big part of it is just that a lot of people who don't really watch the Pistons are out here talking about the Pistons. Who's uh, got his hand raised? Cougar redhead. I have more to say. Uh, while Joe was talking. Okay. Well, just a sec. Before you start, Martin, do you have anything else you want to tack onto that before Koo goes off again? No. Koo. Okay, okay, go ahead. So while Joe was talking, I went and did some research because I don't know if anybody, any of you guys follow all of us on Twitter, so you guys may have not seen all the war that's going on on Twitter. But again, I'm calling out Dialed in Detroit, calling them out right now. Because apparently earlier, I just want everyone to understand, they were criticizing Andre Drummond because they said he has his best games against bad teams. Well, God forbid, what would happen if he didn't have his best games against bad teams? Would we be saying he underperforms when he goes against bad teams? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? When you go against bad teams, you play your best because you make sure they know that they're the worst team. So, 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 instead of, so instead of just arguing back and forth with them by me screaming, Martin went out there and caught himself a body today and let them know that 17 of the last 34 games for the Pistons after Drummond returned from his concussion injury, the Pistons were a plus 10.6. No, 17 of the last 34 games were against playoff teams. In those all 34 games, the Pistons were 10.6 better when he was on the court, minus 11.4 off. He averaged 18.6 points, 16.5 rebounds, 1.9 steals, 1.8 blocks per game on 58% shooting. Now, this is all I'm going to say, and this will be the last of it because I'm sure everyone doesn't want to hear me screaming in their ear. As Martin said, Andre Drummond has become the new scapegoat here in Detroit. It's no no matter what he does, it's never good enough. If he, he can go out there and average 25 and 25, but if he puts his head down after getting smacked in the face, you guarantee there's going to be a clip on Twitter. Oh, see, I told you he, he takes plays off. He takes plays off. 
So uh, it, it is what it is. I don't think Andre Drummond will ever get a fair shake in Detroit. I, I, I'm meaning this with everything in me. I hope he leaves because I hate when professional athletes get unfair criticism and get treated like absolute crap. Like, I couldn't believe yesterday after the performance that he put out there and after how hard they all played, he had to come home to his own fan base. Not the Milwaukee fan base. His own fan base was destroying him on Twitter. Instead of him getting a congratulations or saying, we understand, Dre, we appreciate the effort, you're trying, everyone's out there, we appreciate what you're doing out there, it's just full criticism. It says everyone attacking him nonstop. It's awful what he has to deal with. It's, it's stupid. It's, no matter what he does, it will never be good enough. And, and, and just real quick on the plus minus, I don't know if you understand how plus minus works, people, but it just so happens that if you play the most minutes in a 21 21- point blowout and you're going to be playing most of your minutes against the other team's best players you might just have the lowest the, the worst plus minus because you're spending the most time out there during the blowout i can't take it joe it's awful well so with the plus minus okay um i'm first off is that to mock him a bunch for his plus minus in these playoff games you have to literally ignore the entire season Right, and we've talked about it already before. Andre Drummond had by far the best on-off splits of anybody on the Pistons, like not even close. Right, I think off the top of my head, when he was on the floor, they're like plus three point six per hundred possessions. When he was off, they're like minus six or something like that. I think it was like an eight or nine point difference over the whole season. That's not just a good stretch he had after he came back from concussion. That's the entire season. So in order to really crap on him for this, you have to just ignore, you know, an entire season's worth of data, which is pretty absurd. But I think just because you brought up now, I actually, you know, I'm not going to go on a yelling rant, but um, I actually agree with you, Ku, on the basics of that Andre Drummond deserves better in that I truthfully like I mostly don't really care about this sort of stuff other than that I like to argue with people on Twitter, but like I really am pretty disappointed in the Pistons fan base because you would think that if there was one fan base that could really embrace a guy who's a really, really good player, but he's not a scorer, you would think that it would be the Detroit Pistons fan base. Like you would think that, and yet they can't embrace Andre Drummond. And it's a little bit stupefying to me. And it's particularly funny the way that everybody adores Blake Griffin is willing to totally overlook the fact that he regularly plays almost comically lazy defense, doesn't give a crap with a regular basis and such. And yet everybody adores him because they finally got the Hollywood superstar. It's just, it's just a little bit funny given the way that Detroit fans like to portray themselves. But I will say that he could get a fair shake in Detroit with even the casual fans. And that's honestly one of the main reasons why it's so sad that Blake is hurt for this, because if, you know, the one flaw with Andre is, even though he's still such a good player without this, he can't create an offense on his own, right? He's just not a guy you can give the ball and go and get buckets. He can do everything else. He can't do that. That's one of the reasons why having Blake is so important. Having that guy is so important because then it lets Andre be great at everything Andre Drummond is great at. and. I feel like if Blake was healthy, okay, Blake is doing all this offense stuff. Andre is putting all of his effort into playing defense. He's putting all of his effort into just smacking Giannis onto the Kumpo on defense. He's putting all of his effort onto just crashing the crap out of the offensive glass. And I feel like even if they were getting beaten, has had Blake been healthy to allow Andre Drummond to do the things that he's good at, 
and have it be more obvious to people instead of people then basically i guess people wouldn't be as focused on the fact that andre drummond can't you know create his own offense people would be more focused on holy crap andre drummond does everything else on the floor because they wouldn't need anybody out there to create all of their own offense because they'd have blake and so i think that hypothetically in the future um you know i the reality is that it would have to wait until the playoffs next year unless blake like plays in the last two games and is actually good or you know maybe they even take a game and then play three more games or whatever it could still happen here i suppose but the reality is that detroit is a city that they support good teams but they don't really support bad teams other than the lions but that's true of almost every nfl team right like when the tigers are bad they don't draw that well when the Red Wing and the Red Wings haven't drawn that well the past couple of years because they've been bad and they're one of the biggest brands in sports. So it's just kind of a reality of the situation that he's going to have to get into the playoffs and really show out in a way that people can see. And it's upsetting to me that so many people can't see it. But I do think that there is hope for this to happen. And it just really, really exemplifies how much it sucks that Blake Griffin got hurt. Because Andre needs a guy like Blake Griffin on the floor to really shine himself, if that makes sense. So, yeah, Martin, you haven't talked for a little bit, so you can add something onto what we've been saying, or you can just take it somewhere totally different if you want. I think I'm not from LA, or I'm not from Detroit. I'm from LA, and I feel like I'm more Detroit ride or die than some of these Detroit fans from uh, Michigan. It's 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 pretty ridiculous that. Fans will become like fair with other fans when their team is winning. They'll they'll show up, and when they're losing, they don't care about them. They'll they'll trash them. I don't. I just don't get it. I have I I have well, I have my own theory of what goes on with these Detroit fans, these supposed Detroit fans. This, and, and like I said earlier, it's the same thing they do for Matthew Stafford. they most fans are too. You know what, Joe? Go ahead. I, I don't want to cross I mean, that line. I'll, go ahead, okay. Joe. <laughs> I'm not, not going to cross that line. I'm not going to cross that line. I'm, I'm going to stay away from this that. Is the po- this is you the podcast ahead. version of going, hold me back. <laughs> you know what? No, never mind. I'll say it. Never mind. I'll say it. Most Detroit fans are just too stupid to know anything else. They they don't pay attention long enough. They don't have long attention spans, or they're just too stupid to understand it. So the, if a team's not doing good, or if a team's struggling in an area, they'll pick the biggest face on the team and they'll just use him as a scapegoat because they don't know they don't know how to analyze. They don't know how to properly they don't know how to properly analyze a team and see what how to actually get better. They just assume, oh, well, if we had Jesus Christ as our player, then we'd actually do good, and he's not Jesus Christ, so he's awful. Let's get him out of there. It's the same thing to do with Stafford. It's the same thing to do with Drummond, and that's why he, Andre Drummond, to get a fair shake in Detroit, will have to win a championship. Then all of a sudden, he's going to be Jesus Christ to the Pistons fans. But if he doesn't win a championship, then they're just going to say, oh, well, we've always been mediocre with him, so it's always been his fault. It's not the fact that the team around him has been trash. It's not the fact that he's never had shooters around him. It's not the fact that all this other crap It's because he himself can't do everything out there on the court. That's the problem. Well, I want to, I guess, um, I was about to say something real profound and I just totally lost it. Martin, say something. <laughs> Wayne Ellington isn't good. Yeah, that's been an issue. Oh my goodness. He's been terrible. Wayne Ellington has, I'm taking my buffs back. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I couldn't believe it, Joe. He for real. The, the, I couldn't believe that he couldn't even get separation for the dribble handoff. He was having trouble to get separation just to receive the ball on the dribble handoff. Well, look, like it's a, it's awful. Okay, so I touched on a little bit before with the him versus Reggie Bullock thing. But there is something to take away from this. This is something that other people have talked about, other people have written about before. So this isn't some original idea from me. But it does further show the importance of being a well-rounded player in the playoffs. Because teams are going to really heavily game plan for your individual abilities in the playoffs. So if you've got really obvious holes, it's going to be a much bigger issue in the playoffs. And so for Wayne Ellington, because of the fact, now he's not totally incapable of putting it on the floor. Like he can drive to the hoop a little bit if he gets a lane, but he's not finishing through contact. He's not a good guy to pull up in the mid range. He doesn't have a floater. He's not a particularly good passer. He's made a couple of decent dump off passes to Andre Drummond in the first two games, but he's not some good passer. Whereas um, Reggie Bullock is pretty good at a lot of those things. And that makes a big difference. So even though you may think in the course of the regular season, right? You may think, you know, Ayn, is it that big of a difference between Reggie Bullock to Wayne Ellington? I mean, they're both shooters, they're good shooters, and they shoot a lot, and they hit a lot of threes. Like, that's kind of it. And over the course of the regular season, that is kind of it. But in a playoff series, the ability to do things from different spots and do lots of different things and be able to hurt teams from different areas, that makes a big difference. And that's one of the reasons why Luke Kennard has been so good in these two games is that he's the Pistons' one wing player who he can do a lot of things. He can shoot as well as any of those guys, but he can also put it on the floor. He can pull up in the mid-range. He's got a nice floater. He can he can draw some fouls, which is fun. He's a good passer. Like, that's not just a coincidence that Luke Kennard has looked like, I not looked like, he's been by far their best wing player. It hasn't even been close, right? And that's not a coincidence, and that's not, well, Luke is finally really coming into his own as a confident player or anything. What it is is that, Luke Kennard is the one wing player that the Pistons have that isn't one-dimensional on offense. He's the one guy that if he gets chased off the three-point line constantly, he's just fine. He'll pull up for mid-ranges all day, and he'll hit them. He'll take floaters. He'll hit them. He'll make passes off the drives on drives. He'll do drive and kick. He'll do it well. He's the one guy they've got on the wing who can do those things. And so that's one that, – and it's just – that's the difference. So when you think about – Right. If let's just say hypothetically, okay, we get into this offseason, not even if hypothetically, hopefully the world lasts into the offseason and we're all here for it. If they get into the offseason and they start to think we want a guy who can put the ball on the floor more, but we don't go after a guy who's this elite shooter and people are like we need shooting, need shooting, need shooting. Remember this series, because obviously, like in a perfect world, you get someone who can do both. But the Pistons realistically probably can't afford that. If they do that, remember this series and the fact that Luke Kennard's ability to put it on the floor made a huge, 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 huge difference for the Pistons because it's harder to scheme a guy out of a playoff series when they can do multiple things. And for what it's worth, that's also really important for a guy like Andre. And it's something that separates Andre from a lot of other contemporary centers is that Andre is a good enough finisher that it's so like, you know, in the course of the regular season, you may not think it's that big of a difference because it's like, well, you know, DeAndre Jordan and Steven Adams can and Clint Capella can dunk and they can finish layups right at the hoop, so it doesn't make that much of a difference. But Andre, he hasn't been great at it, but he's got a little bit of a floater. He can finish acrobatic, tough layups in traffic. He can actually put the ball on the floor a little bit. That stuff matters in a playoff series because you're going to be – they are going to test you. And 
Yeah, so I guess that's kind of what I wanted to say there. Um, I don't know if Martin or Ku, either Martin, you can say something yeah, if you want about any of that. Okay, for sure. Go for it. Do you guys know what the Pistons are shooting on wide open threes in the playoffs? Tell us. 22%. Oh, Lord. 32 attempts, 22%. That's really, that's really bad. That's really bad. The only players to make wide open threes, Kennard with three, Galloway with three, and Glenn Robinson with one. Okay, because you brought him up. Unless, Cootie, you have anything you want to add on to anything I just said or what Martin just said? No. Okay, I just want to bring this up, okay? And <clears throat> directed at, of course, nobody in particular. Glenn Robinson has maybe looked a little bit better than Thon in this series. But I just want to make it abundantly clear. Glenn Robinson has been terrible. Like, let's not mince words here, okay? So, Koo... <laughs> Cool. You asked um, uh, if anyone else on the team was close to Luke Kennard's minus 16. You want to know who was pretty close? Who had the third worst plus minus on the team in the last game? Glenn Robinson. Yeah, and Glenn Robinson only played 13 minutes, right? Glenn Robinson has shot just as poorly as... Well, not technically. He's hit 1-3. He's 1-4-8 uh, from 3 in the series, okay? He's shot really poorly. He's basically Thon, but not as big. He makes lots of defensive mistakes. He occasionally will make a really nice defensive play or whatever because he's a good athlete. He'll block a shot. He'll go sky up for a big rebound. He can finish inside a little bit if he's open because he can jump really high, etc. Like, but just so we're clear, okay? Now, if you want to say Thon has been so bad that you just have to try something else at power forward and Glenn Robinson is it, I guess maybe whatever right like he's he certainly hasn't played much worse than Thon but I just want to make it clear because there's been um, some certain individuals who have been rather clamoring to get Glenn Robinson more minutes okay Glenn Robinson does not deserve more minutes the only reason you're playing Glenn Robinson more minutes is that you basically go with the we're gonna throw crap at the wall and see if something can stick that's the only reason you're playing Glenn Robinson more minutes because he's been terrible so I don't know if either of you guys want to tack onto that or not, but okay. Um, so I mean, you know, we've gone like forty six minutes. Either of you guys have any other topics you want to hit on here? I will finish with talk about some of the other games in the playoffs. But anything else you guys want to tack on to about the Pistons series? Nope. Martin. Uh, nope. I'm good. Okay. So looking at some of the other series, um, one thing, <clears throat> the Brooklyn Nets just beat the Philadelphia Sixers again. They're up 2-1. They nearly won game two as well. No, they did not. Didn't they? I thought they nope, did. No, they have not won. Oh, They're down by like 10. What? Yep. I thought that had already happened. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I, I just lied that. to everybody. Are you I lying thought... to me? No, I'm not lying to you. I thought you were trolling me about D'Angelo. Oh, man. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I was just looking at Twitter, and I saw people tweeting about it. Okay, well, sorry about that, people. I just lied to you all. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have the score up. I was just looking at Twitter, and I saw people talking mad crap about the Sixers. So I was like, oh, they must have lost already. My bad. No, no. Philadelphia is about to win. Okay, my bad, everybody. My bad. I don't know. So do either of you. My my worst prediction so far is definitely predicting that Denver was going to handle San Antonio with no issues. Uh because even if they end up winning, which I still think they will, they clearly are not handling San Antonio with no issues. Uh, I don't know. Do either of you guys have anything you want to say about the other series going on? 
Um, I I put that Oklahoma was going to handle pretty the Portland Trail Blazers pretty easily, but that that's known to be a struggle for Westbrook. Yeah, I mean, here's the, you know, Koo also predicted that OKC was going to mop the floor, and I actually picked Koo laughed at me. I picked Portland to win that series, and Koo Cahill laughed at me. You remember that Koo? I don't know if I laughed. I you you definitely laughed at me. You're like what what? I just gotta say, Damian Lillard is a bad, bad man. Russell Westbrook is a perpetual underachiever in the playoffs. Um, one thing that has really stood out in that series legitimately, there's two things to me. One is that, how on earth has OKC not scored on a freaking conga line with Ennis Cantor starting at center? Like, Ennis Cantor has been played out of playoff series before, and they can't do it. That's pretty bizarre to me. Um, the other thing is that Steven Adams is not, been very good and some OKC people have talked about it too that he just he hasn't been that good defensively for them and I just I don't know that's OKC is such a weird team because Russell Westbrook is phenomenal Paul George was I Harden and Giannis were so good that he's not really in the conversation but Paul George was like sort of in the MVP conversation I mean he was awesome this season but they just I mean if they lose the series That'll be, will that be three straight years out in the first round? Yep. I mean, and two straight with the Westbrook, Paul George, Steven Adams trio. I mean, and both times against teams that you would have thought they would have beaten. I mean, every they were the higher seed against Utah last year, right? Mm-hmm. I believe so. And then they're the, lower, they're the lower seed in this series, but Yusuf Nurkic is out. Everybody thought that they would probably be able to handle Portland. If they go down, which, once again, it's entirely possible they come back and win that series. But what do you do if you're OKC? Like, do you consider blowing this up? Do you consider just making really significant changes? Or do you just run it back? Because they don't they don't have a lot of flexibility. Well, uh, all I'm going to say about this is I have uh, one of my boys is a Oklahoma City Thunder fan. And he was one of the biggest Russell Westbrook defenders of all time. I've watched him slowly turn heel against Westbrook over this season, and he told me a couple of days ago that he can't do it no more. He has to go because he just can't shoot the ball at all. So if that tells you anything about where the Oklahoma City Thunder are, you got Westbrook defenders coming out saying they just can't do it with them no more. Well, I mean, I wouldn't even necessarily go that far per se, but... Uh... No, I don't know, Joe. I mean, I think like this, this, I, I, like before this year and he was getting the triple doubles and playing that and then, okay. But the, the, the shooting that he's doing, that he's showing off right now is just, it's unacceptable. The issue is that he shoots so poorly, but he just shoots so much. But here's the thing. Okay. This season is like all time worst shooting season for him. He would not be the first guy in NBA history to randomly have a really terrible shooting season in their career. Like it's entirely possible he bounces back. Yeah, but he's never been a good, really good shooter, anyways. Yeah, but he's been better than this. Yeah, but what's he going to be bouncing back to? That's going to be much better. Guys who are better shooters than Russell Westbrook have had similarly bad seasons shooting the ball. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, like, did you know that in the middle of his prime? Paul Pierce had two straight seasons where he shot below 30% from three. Oof. 
one of the, one of the best shooters of an NBA, like legitimately. I mean, not maybe not one of the best shooters in NBA history, but like awesome shooter. He's like a career 38, 39% three point shooter. Really, really good shooter. He has had two seasons in the middle of his career where he just shot like crap from three. Like <laughs> Damian Lillard shot like 33% from three a few years back or something like that. Like there's a degree to which it happens. And while you're right, Koo, yeah. It's not like Westbrook is bouncing back to being some elite shooter, but I'm just saying maybe you just hope that he hits more shots next year. But I don't know. I wouldn't want to be in their shoes because I'm not sure what they can do to improve because you've got you're paying Westbrook and George a ton of money, which they're mostly worth. Uh, you're paying Stephen Adams a lot of money. I like Stephen Adams. You're paying him a lot of money. I'm not yeah, sure I if think Stephen Adams is worth it, worth the money he's being paid. I think he's worth it. I think he's close, but here's the thing about Steven Adams, okay? People assume he's a really good defender because the Thunder are a really good defensive team, and he's big and strong. Steven Adams is not that good of a defender. Like, I just want to make this clear. Steven Adams is a pretty decent defender. Like, he does not block shots. He can't, like, he doesn't. He doesn't have good timing. He's not good at it. He is not a good shot blocker. He's a decent rim protector because he's so big. And he doesn't move that well on the outside to be a great switch guy. He can kind of hold, although that's been one of the issues for them in this series, is that he really has not looked good on the perimeter, even worse than he has often in the past. And so, I mean, I guess here's what I'm saying, okay? So Steven Adams is making, how much money is he making? He's making $24 million this year, going to make 25 next year, and 27 the year after that, okay? Do you want to pay twenty mid twenty millions for a guy who put up thirteen and nine this season? I mean, I would look at trading someone else like Dennis Schroeder or Jeremy Grant. I think you're gonna have a tough time trading Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. And they got him because they had to dump Carmelo Anthony somewhere. And they were like, Well, at least we'll get a guy back who can sort of play. But I don't know. It's just it's gonna be interesting to see. Now look. I'm not pronouncing OKC dead in the water, um, even though it didn't end up working. I mean, last year against the Jazz, Westbrook had that second half where he just was like, screw it, and he went off and absolutely carried them to a victory. I would not be shocked if the Thunder bounced back and won this series. I wouldn't be shocked at all. I would be extremely shocked if they pulled off a comeback. I, I wouldn't be that shocked. Just I'll, I'll tell you this much, Joe. This is one of the reasons why I think it's very unlikely it happens. I had not known about this whole Russell Westbrook and Damian Lillard beef before we made our predictions. I had not known that this beef was like for real, for real. And ever since Westbrook was like talking all that smack to Damian Lillard about how he's been owning him since he came in the league, like in the six games since then, I believe they said he's just absolutely destroyed Westbrook. And and I think that Damian Lillard is all just like just better than him flat out. But especially with that trash talking that's going on. And now they're in the playoffs against them. Damon Lillard hasn't held back at all. Like he, did you see the possession where he clamped him up on defense? Oh yeah. What did you say? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah the, he that. clamped him up on defense, started mocking. And then as soon as he got the ball, literally pulled up from like 40 feet, cushed it and just started well, taunting him. Like, I don't see Damon Lillard stopping this. It wasn't just like he was taunting him. Like, so Westbrook pulled up from three, like deep three and, I don't know. I don't think he airballed it, but he br- missed it very badly, yes. right? And when he missed it, 
Lillard literally is standing there flexing, just walking. Like, just stop playing just to flex as he walked towards the ball to get it from whoever got the rebound. And then they gave him the ball, and he came up the floor and just pulled from, like, 30 feet and nailed it. No, oh, and, my and goodness. The, and before Westbrook got that three up, the reason why he was forced out the three because uh, Damian Lillard had ripped him up. He had, like, knocked the ball loose, and he had to go get it, and he went back out the three. and shot. Like, Damian Lillard's just been owning Westbrook. There's no other way about it. He's just been owning him. Well, I mean, you know, and this is the reason why I actually did pick Portland is that, you know, there's the old saying that very often times in playoff series, the team with the best player wins the series. And I thought Damian Lillard was probably going to be the best player in that series. And that's, that is literally, that's the reason I picked them. I just said, screw it. I think OKC is a better team, but I'm going to go with the team that I think has the best player on it. I'll tell you, I think if Paul George was healthy, we'd be talking differently. The shoulders are really, really hurting them. Yeah, and I mean, especially for as Pistons fans, we can relate to that. I mean, Blake's not even playing, right? No. But I will say this. He always has been there, but especially over the past, like, two or three years, Damian Lillard has skyrocketed up my list of non-Pistons dudes that I love. Like, that dude, he does everything about him. I love that guy. Oh, yeah, he keeps it 100. He is a, first off, he's an incredible player. You hear nothing but great things about him as a leader. Like, everybody talks about him as one of the absolute best. Like, the there's nobody better as far as, like, being a leader, as a culture builder, that whole sort of thing. Like, that dude, I just, I adore that dude. And one thing that's underrated about him is that this season in particular, he has really put work in to be a defensive player. And yep. I wouldn't say he's, like, that good. He's still kind of undersized, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But early in his career, he's been a terrible defender. And to be a guy like Damian Lillard where you've already gotten paid, you're already making all-star teams, you're already a superstar, and to still look at yourself and be like, you know what, I'm going to put in the work to be a good defender, that <laughs> that is impressive. And I just, I love that dude. And, yeah, I mean. I mean, if you look at, I think one of the main things I'm I loved uh, watching so far in this playoff series is last year he absolutely just got like schemed out the series by the Pelicans because they were just trapping him and everything, and Drew Holiday's length was bothering him on the switch on the trapping. It was he just got schemed out, and everyone was talking about how he underperformed in the playoffs. He's taken that and just completely learned from it. He talked he's talked about how he's just studied it the whole off season because he couldn't live with the fact that. He, that it happened he's taken it and used it as a way to get better and you can see it he's just like destroy he's literally just destroying the thunder he's just manhandling them yes because you brought that up now look it was four games last year and it's only two games so far but let me read you the splits okay so last year damian lillard 18 points 4.8 assists against four turnovers shot 35% from the field and 30% from three. That's good for a true shooting percentage of 47%. That's Josh Smith levels efficiency. In the two games this season, 29.5 points, five assists, true shooting percentage of 60.7%. Shooting 47% from three. That is flames, straight flames coming from his arms from his hands all the way around. Um, the other thing, I guess, what do you guys think about this Jazz Rockets thing? You mentioned it a little bit in your rant, but, like, should we be worried about Rudy Gobert and the Jazz? Like, they're getting slaughtered. 
And guess what? Their best player isn't hurt, and they're not the Pistons going against the Bucks. They're supposed to have a legit chance in this game, and they're in this series, and they're getting slaughtered. Martin, you haven't talked in a while, so I'll let you start with that. A lot of people picked Utah to win two, three, even the series. Uh, Rudy Gobert, he's a minus 40 in the series. Nobody talks about that, though. Yeah, well, a lot of people not, you know, it's funny because it's like the Rudy Gobert thing is almost the exact opposite of the Andre thing. Because with the Andre thing, basically anybody who's like really in the know has been like, no, anybody suggesting that this is Andre's fault is absurd. With the Rudy Gobert thing, it's almost only the people who really pay attention. They're like, this is weird. This is bad, right? And it's because the people in the know were like, the Jazz should have a good chance in this series. And they've gotten obliterated. Rudy Gobert is on the bo- is on the edge of getting played off the floor. Which, like, and look, it, I don't know how much we've talked about in here. We've talked about it a little bit. I think Rudy Gobert is phenomenal. I think I'm probably somewhere on this podcast saying that I think Rudy Gobert might be the best center in basketball. Right? I think I'm probably on here saying that. It's tough to say that if you might, if you're legit getting played off the floor in a playoff series, right? I mean, I mean, I'm I I I don't want I've moved from the from the destroying people off of one playoff series. I don't want to do that, but it, it's been. I mean, they're going against the they're going against the Rockets, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I didn't really expect them to do anything against James Harden. I I expected him to destroy them and. It's not. I mean, his play personally may be struck, may be uh, concerning, but I'm not going to get too out of pocket about it. Well, here's the thing, okay, is that it's something that has popped up as an issue with Gobert in the past. Is that, and let's be clear about, it, okay, one of the reasons people are talking about this is because so many of us, quite frankly, including me, just pencil him in as the best defensive player in basketball. Okay, defensive player of the year automatically. I'm one of these people. Okay. And it's happened at times where teams who can make him try and defend in space can really give him issues. And that's all the Rockets have done is made him defend in space, and he's done terribly with it, right? I mean, in his defense, in his defense, I mean, the Rockets probably are the best suited to do something yeah, like that. Yeah, for sure. And look, with the plus-minus thing, right, we talked about with this with Andre. It would be pretty unfair if we didn't talk about this with Rudy Gobert. Everyone else on that team has utterly crapped the bed. Like, Donovan Mitchell last, (laughs) in game two, Donovan Mitchell, 11 points, 5 of 19 from the field. Ugh. Ricky Rubio was, Ricky Rubio was their their leading scorer. That's a bad time. Joe Ingles has been terrible in this series. Uh, Like, there's a lot of other guys who have been really, really bad in that series. Maybe, just maybe, some of those players are overrated. Well, look, okay. Let me me say something real quick about Ingles. Let me just say something real quick about Ingles. Ingles is a fine player, but this is the – I'll say this. I th- I feel – me personally, and you guys don't have to agree. Joe may disagree with this. But I feel like Joe Ingles is like the classic example of like the people who don't really pay attention to analytics at all. And he's one of the main people they use as, oh, you try to tell me he's a great player by analytics. There's no way I believe it. That He's like one of the prime examples of that because I personally – like he's a fine player. But I don't think he's anywhere close to what people make him out to be over the season and all the the way they use analytics to say. Like, in the Bleacher Report, Bleacher Report rankings, they had him as, like, the top 20 player over Andre Drummond. Like, he's just not, like, he can shoot threes. He may be able to defend somewhat. But, like, in a playoff series when they can 
if you can't really put the ball on the ground, you can't really create, and you're not that athletic, you can be taken out of a series. So I just I I'm not that big. I mean, let me uh, ask you that. Ingles is a fine player. I just don't think he's as good as he is as people think he is. And Donovan Mitchell, I also don't think is as good as as the casual fans think that he is either. Okay. I hardly agree with you about Donovan Mitchell. Um, that's sort of the I mean, we talked about it with Andre. Okay, people, so many casual fans are so much slaves to points per game, right? That all they look at is Donovan Mitchell score, Donovan Mitchell athletics, so he's awesome. They don't take into account anything else beyond that. That's all that they look at, right? With Joe Ingles, now look, some analytics types got out of pocket, but I actually think it was the non-analytics types that got the most out of pocket because Joe Ingles got that reputation because last season in the playoffs, he balled. Like he basically outplayed he Joe. Did. He basically outplayed Paul George in that playoff series last year. Like let's not mince words, okay? He was phenomenal in the playoffs last season. And guess what? When you really play well in a playoff series that a lot of people watch, which because that was the first round series and that was the best, probably the best first round series, people really paid attention to that, right? In the first round last year, right, in the playoffs last year, Joe Ingles, 14.5 points, 3.4 assists per game, shot 45% from three on seven attempts per game and played really good defense on Paul George, okay? Like that's the reason that he got overhyped because he 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 outplayed Paul George. That's what it was, right? Even if he didn't really outplay him, that was the narrative, okay? And that's not really the analytics guy's fault. But I mean, look at the, I mean, okay, crew this season, Paul Joe Ingles, twelve point one points per game, five point seven assists, shot thirty nine percent from three on like six attempts per game. Solid defender, not a great one, but a solid one. He can put it on the floor. He's a good passer. He's a really good player. He's just played like trash in this series. And I mean, define what you mean by really good, dude, because I really like he's a fine player, but I definitely think he's overrated now because of he's not as good as people are saying. He I is. think he like, let me give you an example. Let me okay. give you an example real quick. I'm going to name these names that Bleacher Report has a has him ahead of. And don't don't let me let me say all the okay. names first that I, I that I hardly I, I'm I'm having trouble seeing that he's better than okay. All right, Borjan Bagnatovic, Demar Derozan, and you you can argue Demar Derozan after I'm done, but I, I you're not going to convince me he's a better player than Demar Derozan. Uh, he had they have him better than Andre, they have him better than Her- Montrez Harrell, Stephen Adams, Clint Capella. They have him better than Miles Turner. They have him better than Lou Williams. Like these are just players I don't believe he's better than Paul Millsap, Jason okay. Tatum. I, I just don't okay. think he's well, better so, than these players. Once again, that's a Bleacher Report article, Kuth. That's not like that's not like some super analytics dude. That's Bleacher Report. And once again, we like we we all know this, okay? The sort of like the national media types in particular, because they only really pay attention when the playoffs come around. Okay, they are always 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 going to way overreact to playoff series okay it's just a fact of life it's stupid but it is what it is okay so by that definition yeah joe ingles is way overrated but i don't think there's actually that many people who thought he's that good um the thing that's tricky about joe ingles so like i would never argue joe ingles is better than demar Derozan. that's an absurd argument okay but the thing that's tricky about joe ingles is that He's a sort of player where his skill set is set up in such a way that 
he's not going to make a bad team good, but he's set up so that if you put him on a good team, he can elevate a good team or a good lineup from good to great, right? Because he's got all of the complementary things. I feel you. He's a complementary player. So, and it's very difficult to judge those. And because on one hand, so it's like, okay, so if you were, I mean, look, let's, DeMar DeRozan's not a good comparison because DeMar DeRozan is really, really, really good. So I don't know who would be in someone else we could use. I don't know. We'll just use DeMar just because he's the one you brought up. But just to be clear, DeMar DeRozan is so good that this doesn't really work. But if you were the Golden State Warriors and you had to add either DeMar DeRozan or Joe Ingles onto your bench rotation, I'd think long and hard about making a Joe Ingles, to be honest, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, if you were, I don't know, I I wish I that we I could, if I, I could think of somebody who would be a better comparison. Because DeMar DeRozan is phenomenal. I've got nothing but good things to say about DeMar DeRozan. Other than I can I name know. other people that they said. They said okay. Montrezl okay. Harrell, Andre, well, D'Angelo Russell. Montrez Harrell didn't really get good until this season. And he was pretty good last season. But I mean, he, he, really, he, he really burst onto the season this season. Wasn't this before this season, this list? No, this is coming into this playoffs. Oh! That's what I'm saying. Yes, that's what I'm saying. If anyone actually thinks that he's that, that's pretty egregious. They have him top 20. I don't think that there's that many people who really think that, but. I don't even think he's better than, look, they have him better than Danny Green and J.J. Redick. I'm not sure about the Danny Green. I might take Danny Green over him. Uh, Like, I I just, this is what I'm talking about. I just don't think he's as good as they're making it out. Once once again, with role, with complementary players, it's hard because so much of it is their role. So, like, there's some teams that I would absolutely rather have. Okay, if I'm the Detroit Pistons, I would way rather have Joe Ingles and Danny Green because the Pistons are desperate, desperate, desperately in need of another guy who can who's a, like, plus passer and can put the ball on the floor a little bit, okay? Danny Green is a pure 3-and-D player, right? He's an awesome one, a really, really good one. But I'm willing to sacrifice some of that defense for a guy who can do more with the ball in his hands, which Joe Ingles can. Joe Ingles is a really good passer. Would you rather the Pistons have DeRozan or Ingles? DeRozan. That's not it. Okay. okay. DeRozan, that's, like, that's what right, once again, first off, like I just said, the Pistons are – and if I could add one type of guy this season, I actually would not add someone who's a great passer or a great perimeter defender – I mean, great shooter or great perimeter defender, even though they need those things. I would add another dude who can go get his own points. That's what I think they need as much as anything. I think they need that more than anything. The problem is they have really got no way to do that. But no, I'd absolutely. Also, once again, DeMar DeRozan is so good that even with terms of fit, I'd probably take DeMar DeRozan no matter what, just because DeMar is really, really, really good. But, you know, just like if I was a Pistons, though, I'd be willing to take a little bit of a sacrifice for defense because Ingles is a solid defender, but he's not as good as Danny Green. I'd be willing to take that bit of sacrifice for a better a guy who can do more with the ball in his hands just because of the fit. Um, but yeah, so, okay, if people... I don't think there's that many people who actually think Joe Ingles is that good, though. I think Bleacher Report is just being straight out of pocket with that. That It was Dan Favell. I don't even... I don't even know who that is. Should I know who that is? I I don't know. I was, I was just putting a name to the... Okay. To, so I don't think there's that many people who actually think he's that good, but yeah, I think he, he's, he is. Okay. When you talk about guys who are complimentary players, he is phenomenal in that role, but it's hard to think about how to compare him 
with guys who are not necessarily complimentary players. I, I think it's I, this is how easy it is for me. If one player is able to lead a team and take a team from bad to, to good, they're better than the complimentary player. Okay, that's fair. If you can if if you can be a great complimentary player, okay, you can be of the best complimentary players, but you're not as good as the player who who makes you the complimentary player by taking the pressure off of you. There's a reason why like I just don't see what's so hard about it. Okay. I mean, that's fair. But yeah, an overall point, I w- I'm not that shocked about what's happening to the Jazz. Okay. Well, a lot of people are, but it's been I don't know. I wonder if this here's the thing that's always interesting about the first round is that you oftentimes get series where a team is surprising about how good they are in an opening round series. And then you get to the second round, it turns out that just they're just a terrible matchup for the other team. Right. So on one hand, I want to start to think maybe the Rockets are really putting it together here at the end of the season because they were good for I don't know exactly how long the stretch was. But they really they didn't start out very strong and they really finished strong to the season. Once CP three got healthy. Yeah. So there's part of me that wants to be like, this Rockets team may be able to compete with the Warriors again. But on the other hand, it may well be that they're just a terrible matchup for this jazz squad. And also it may well be that this jazz team is just not actually as good as people think. Those are both very real possibilities here. Well, so well, we're we're running long, and I'm sure Martin is is getting tired. <laughs> well, he he's he's a couple hours before before us, so it's only like eight o'clock for him. Well, I just I have one scenario to throw out at you guys real quick. So, what do you guys think about the chances of now? Before you guys answer, let me throw throw why I'm saying this out there. What's the, what's your guys' what do you guys think about the chances of Portland making it to the Western Conference Finals? Because if they make it past Oklahoma, they're going against the winner of Denver of and San Antonio. And with the way Denver's looking against San Antonio, it, even if Denver gets past San Antonio, are we sure they're going to get past the Trailblazers? So I think I think Denver matches up a lot better with Portland than they do with San Antonio. So what but, you, you put it at not possible? I wouldn't put it at not possible. Once again, okay, Damian Lillard could well be the best player on the floor in that series as well. I'd give them a really good chance, but I'd still probably lean Denver. If they get the Spurs, I think they would really be able to handle the Spurs. I think, honestly. Uh, But I think if they get Denver, I think they're going to have issues with that. Because if they get Denver, you need to have Ennis Cantor guarding Nikola Jokic for the whole series. And I mean, well, in the Spurs series so far, it's looked like they've let Jokic do it. Like, he's almost had a triple-double both games. They look like they've just let him do his thing. They're just – Jamal Murray struggled before the fourth quarter explosion. Yeah, but so then, they can do – they can do the thing where they stick, you know, whoever on it, and they're so disciplined defensively that they could sort of let Jokic do his thing without letting them as a team really kill them, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, I think that would be... I think that's going to be hard to do for Portland because Ennis Cantor is really not a good defender. So I think that'd be tough. Uh, I think that if... I think if Portland makes... Well, I expect Portland to make it past Thunder. I've, I've changed my prediction now after two guys. I think they're going to win in five, but... I think it, once Portland gets past the Oklahoma City, I think it's real possible we could be seeing them in the conference finals. It's certainly possible. And, and 
for sure. And if they do make it to the conference finals, what a great what a great story for that their season. Nurkic goes down, everyone thinks they're out, and they do something like that. And after last year with Damian Lillard, if Damian Lillard were to make it to the Western Conference Finals and just lose to the to the Golden State Warriors, that would say like like I said to you about D'Angelo Russell, if D'Angelo Russell were have been playing better than he is, they would like shoot up like standings or like rankings. I think it would like Damian Lillard would leave no doubt in people's minds if he did something like that. That he deserves at the t- like towards the top of everybody's rankings. Well, you know what else? As in terms of since we're talking about narrative stuff, if the Trailblazers do that, right? They make the conference finals, and then particular, I I think that the Blazers would stand basically no chance against the Warriors. But if they like yeah. at least put up a fight, like let's say they go to the conference finals, and even though the Warriors clearly better, but they take them to six games or something like that. Okay, they put up a fight. That would also be a nice victory for all of the anti-tank people because everybody want was saying that the Blazers ought to blow it up after last season, right? How many people were saying that? Yeah. How many people were saying there's no point in bringing back this roster? What is the point? We know what they are. Da, 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 da. We know this. We know that, right? And then to come back that strong and to do that, that would be pretty cool. So, and I'm, I talked about it earlier, Damian Lillard is just a dude that you have to root for. I don't see how you could not. Just every single thing about that guy, I'm down with. Yep, so, I agree. I mean, I do think Denver would be a tough matchup for them, though. But they'll have a chance. Um, Denver's playing right now. I think they're losing. They're, they're down by four in the fourth quarter right now. So I suppose when people hear this, they'll know whether or not um, how that goes. But, yeah. So any other thoughts before we wrap up here, boys? Nope, I okay. got nothing. All right, well, we're going to wrap that up. Um, I'm probably going to have to fix some audio drift things. I think that we technically lost Koo for a short amount of time, so I'm going to have to edit some of that. Uh, but hopefully this gets up on uh, Friday morning. Uh, stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.